coming up on this episode of Inside the Epicenter. The second purpose of Bible prophecy is to reveal that the Bible is, in fact, the Word of God, that it's true, that it's trustworthy in all of its respects, and to inspire us to believe and obey the Word of God, the Bible. What is the power and purpose of biblical prophecy? We're going to revisit that question again today in a continuation of our last podcast. Hi, and welcome to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today we're talking with Joel Rosenberg from Washington, D.C., to answer that question and to unpack that topic for us. Joel, welcome. Glad you're with us. Well, great to be with you, Carl. And it is kind of funny to be from here in Washington and as opposed to in the epicenter in Jerusalem, but happy to be uh, here meeting with Joshua Fund donors and staff and board and, and other people, uh, even joking leaders um, uh, around the United States and just get off the island a bit. Uh, uh, <laughs> and uh, a lot of evangelical leaders, Messianic leaders, Arab Christians uh, tend to take the summer to go and meet with donors and supporters and prayer partners. And so we're doing that as well. That's beautiful. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're uh, on our shores, uh, even though it's the opposite side of the continent. Joel, last podcast, we called an audible because we got into a subject that was so rich and so encouraging in many levels about biblical prophecy uh, that we decided, hey, let's do a second version of this. Let's do a continuation of it. And, um, you know, last time we talked a little bit about some of the obstacles about why uh, evangelical pastors aren't teaching about Bible prophecy, but we hinted at and we started to go down the road of this whole nature of the power and the purpose of Bible prophecy to encourage and to bless and to re-inspire us. So uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. So um, any uh, initial thoughts that you have on on that topic as we rediscover the purpose and power of, of Bible prophecy and teaching? Sure. Well, just to recap, one key fact from the, the previous podcast, which is that 27% of the Bible is oh. prophecy. Yeah. 27%, that's a lot. That's more than one in four verses, which means that it's important to God, right? And if it's important to God, it ought to be important to us, right? Mm-hmm. We mentioned Paul's letter to Timothy in the New Testament where he writes and really encourages and challenges Timothy, his young disciple, young pastor in training. Listen, all scripture is inspired by God. God breathes, some translations would read. All scripture from Genesis through Revelation, all of it is inspired by God and it's profitable to us. It's useful for us. It it helps shape who we are, how we know who God is, how we know how to interact with him, what he expects of us, what he's warning us about, what he's encouraging us about, how to be forgiven, how to follow him, how to serve him, how to help others come to know him. All scripture does this. There's not a single verse of the scripture that God's like, "Ah, that doesn't really matter. I just threw it in there because I didn't really know what else to do. Like, no, (laughs) it's all important. So because as evangelicals, we believe that to be true, it does raise an important question. Why? Why do many evangelical pastors and Bible college professors and seminary professors and Bible college and seminary leaders, like executives, administrators, why aren't they making eschatology, biblical prophecy, an important element of what they teach. It's very easy to avoid it. People should uh, listen to the previous podcast to go into 
you know, the reasons we, we laid out four reasons why people avoid it. But when you think of how much material it, there is, 27%, it's super important to God. It ought to be super important to us. Yeah, it is. And, you know, that whole fact of 27% of scripture uh, not regularly being talked about or expounded or preached on is such a gap. It's such a reality that in any other topic in life, if we neglected over a quarter of the material available, uh, we'd be in trouble. And I think it's also true for the church. I think we're in trouble in many ways in our churches. Maybe we're losing contact with the core message of hope. That's right. That's the message of hope. That's that's the central piece. People can get very divided on a lot of the details of prophecy. And of course, there's different views within evangelicalism on how to interpret certain portions of the scripture. Fine, I, I get yeah. that. But the, the central hope is God has kept his word in the past. There are prophecies that came true in the past that you think, how is that possible? There's no way that's going to happen. And then it happened. And you're like, oh, well, God did say it was going to happen. And the rebirth of Israel is one of these major prophecies that has come true in our lifetime, which should be mm-hmm. encouraging to us going, wow, the rebirth of Israel and all the things around it, Jews coming back to the land and rebuilding the ancient ruins and all that. Those are huge end times yeah. prophecies that the Bible speaks of that most people, even our many of our church fathers, didn't think it was literally going to happen. The fact it's literally happened and happening should be inspiring to us. Wow, what else does God say is going to happen that we ought to be aware of uh, before the return of Christ? And the fact of the return of Christ itself is our central hope that this all the trauma and injustice and pain and suffering of this world is going to be made right. right. But before we get to that, things are going to get worse. Yeah. And knowing that, knowing that God warned us ahead of time, listen, just to be aware, before you land the plane, it's going to get very bumpy. That's <laughs> just important to know when the pilot says, listen, buckle up, because mm-hmm. in a few moments we're going to be hitting some very severe turbulence. It doesn't mean the turbulence is easier, but it's nice to be warned ahead of time. Buckle up. Yep. This is normal. We're going to get through it. But just to be aware, yeah. the ride is going to get hard. And that, I think, is comforting that God loves us enough to warn us ahead of time. Yes. Now, one of the problems is there's a lot of lunatics out there. Well, uh, that are that are taking advantage of this and trying to throw sand in people's eyes. Sure, I, I was going to mention that. You know, a lot of uh, one basic message for us to reiterate to all our listeners is: Bible prophecy is for everyone. You don't have to be some arcane scholar of the Middle Eastern languages. Uh, this is available in Scripture clearly and for the benefit of all believers. Because, like you said, there have been a lot of crazies out there that have maybe distorted the way we think about this stuff. And since it's so complicated, it seems, maybe I I just avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. We're in the States right now. And of course, you know, Lynn and I raised our boys here in the Washington, uh, D.C., Northern Virginia area for 24 years before we made Aliyah uh, and moved to Israel and became citizens of Israel. We still have some things in storage here, and we've been sort of sifting through, trying to get rid of stuff and ideally get rid of all that storage, you know, eight years in Israel. Like if we haven't used it yet, we're probably not going to use it. (laughs) So one of the things that we have in there is a a box that has a bunch of books that people have given me over the years by lunatics, some that I purchased just to have in my collection, but they're by prophecy lunatics, prophecy nuts. One of them, maybe my favorite of the lunacy, and and literally the box, Carl, is marked heresy, (laughs) not true. Like 
Yeah, I don't want anyone to like discover that box and go, oh, this is what Joel really thought. Like, these are, this is what informed who he is and what he taught. Uh, now we found the, the Dead Sea Clearly. Scrolls. No, 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 I don't want that. But one of them is the 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 1988. Okay? That's literally the title of probably maybe arguably the worst of the books over the years that sold millions of copies. And it was written by a guy named Edgar Wisnant. And he was like, he sold millions of these copies of this. And then when Jesus did not come back in 1988, (laughs) I was finishing up college. I was a senior in college at that year. And I was like, what is he? So anyway, uh, and you know, Jesus literally says in the Bible that no one knows the day or hour. But this right. guy says, well, I, at least I know the year. Like, no, you didn't. But then he came out with a sequel because he'd been proven wrong. But he's like, <laughs> oh, 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 I, I made a, a miscalculation. So he wrote a book called The 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1989. Oh, my gosh. Seriously? Like, okay, now, wait, there's more. I got a book by a guy named Harold Camping. Oh. Harold Camping wrote a book called 1994. And it is a 500-page book calculating why Jesus is coming in 1994. Now, obviously, Jesus didn't come in 1994. And then years later, Harold Camping owned a radio station, and he began broadcasting and actually buying billboards across the United States and around the world and made a big story why Jesus was coming back on May 21st, 2011 at 6 o'clock. Now, he didn't specify whether there was Eastern time zone or Central or, Pacific <laughs> or, or Israeli time or whatever. Right, right. May 21st, 2011 at 6 o'clock. Now, you're like, okay, just to be clear, in Matthew chapter 24, again, okay, Jesus says that no man knows the day or hour. But apparently, Harold Camping knew. Seriously, like, wow. but this made worldwide headlines in Israel, even, as well as across the world, including the United States. Completely ridiculous. So these are just a few uh, that are in my, uh, you know, of the different materials that I have in this box. It's very sad. And even some wonderful Bible teachers have have overreached at times. But it doesn't mean that prophecy is not true. Just the opposite. It means that there are false teachers, but let's make the decision. Some people are purposely false teaching. Yeah. Some people are just delusional and they're teaching falsely. They don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. But then there's people who are solid teachers, but mm-hmm. they're wrong about some things, right? And they're overreaching or they're you know, getting into an area that they're teaching things that are false, sure. but I wouldn't necessarily characterize them as false teachers. But let's talk about what's really true about Bible prophecy because it's important. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, I don't think we need to be uh, for, for that latter group, you know, that, that are sincere, uh, balanced, and, you know, we may get things wrong from time to time. Uh, sure. Remember that it, even in, you know, those that saw Jesus here on earth in his first coming, they didn't get the prophecies right, exactly right. right. In no, fact, uh, that was one of the major reasons he was a disappointment or a disillusion. Some were disillusioned in him because he didn't act that way. Uh, but all I'm saying with that, and I think what you're saying is there is ample reason for us to take great encouragement from good, solid Bible teaching about the end times and about the second coming and about the establishment of God's righteous rule on earth. So, Joel, you know, one of the missions we talked about last time at the Joshua Fund is to help educate people about the epicenter, about what's taking place now, 
to some degree what's taken place in history to remind people about the history of Israel and God's people, but also uh, biblical and geopolitical uh, history and things that are happening now, but also to educate on this issue of biblical prophecy and what what will come, just as certainly as things uh, have happened that the Bible predicted in the past, they will come to pass in the future. So uh, how can the Joshua Fund be uh, doing some more of these uh, educating things and and helping even pastors rediscover the purpose and power of Bible prophecy. Well, let's use this podcast as with the last. I love this podcast. I love that we've done it, Carl. I, it's just been a great idea, and working with you on this has been such a joy. So uh, we're about eighteen months in now, and we're seeing people connect and uh, in North America, but also in other places all over the world. And doing this, I think, has been wonderful because you and I have been able to cover a lot of material. And it's a way that people can either listen to or on YouTube watch what we're talking about in, you know, in sort of bite-sized chunks where they may not know where else to find healthy, solid, balanced teaching on any of these topics. And prophecy can be one of them. So let's dive in specifically to what I call the sevenfold purposes of Bible prophecy. Uh, there are at least seven. I mean, I'm, I'm narrowing it to seven. I mean, there are Maybe there's more, but uh, uh, happy for our listeners to write in and say, well, what about this one and what about that one? Maybe I missed some, but let's <laughs> let's focus on seven because oh, that's a good number. It's a good and, number. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure that, would, that ought to take more than a podcast, but yeah. let's just use this podcast as one more educational uh, sure. tool. But yes, there are other things like we're making available in our notes this section of notes, you know, I'd written this uh, document a number of years ago, rediscovering the purpose and power of Bible prophecy in order to help myself think through and sort of bring it all together. And then when I spoke at conferences, I could use this material. Yeah. We're making that PDF of that document available, and we'll keep coming up with others. Yeah. And again, before we get into all of these things, just want to let people know we're not trying to belittle or to put down people who haven't had this information yet. You know, this is one of the no, things that, you know, uh, there are very natural reasons that some pastors shy away from teaching Bible prophecy. But what we want to do is be a positive inspiration to those pastors and those people that have never studied it before to get involved in it to do that. Hey, Joel, we're going to take a quick break right now and we're going to get into that sevenfold purpose and power of Bible prophecy in just a minute. But let's take a break. The verse of the day today is found in 2 Peter 1, verses 20 to 21. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture becomes a matter of someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And our prayer request today continue to be to pray for pastors and church leaders to more fully appreciate and preach biblical prophecy to guide and instruct us. And second, to pray that believers worldwide would be encouraged, emboldened, and strengthened to be a light to the nations. Well, Joel, we're back, and I am, again, this is such a practical message for anyone who is uh, uh, evangelical, who cares about what Scripture says about prophecy. So what are those sevenfold purposes of Bible prophecy? I'm glad to discuss it. So I'm going to read right from uh, my notes, and uh, again, uh, valuable on the, uh, in our show notes. So number one, what's the, the number one uh, 
purpose is to reveal that the God of the Bible is the almighty, all-seeing, all-knowing God of the universe, worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. Hmm. Only a God who can see the future could tell us the future accurately. So that's one of the purposes of Bible prophecy. It shows forth the who God is. The second purpose of Bible prophecy is to reveal that the Bible is, in fact, the word of God, that it's true, that it's trustworthy in all of its respects, and to inspire us to believe and obey the word of God, the Bible. Uh, again, we'll, we'll unpack these in a moment, but th- that's the second uh, okay. purpose. The third purpose of Bible prophecy is to require us to study God's word diligently and with humility and to teach God's word with humility and great care. Mm. These are not easy topics. Mm-hmm. It's why people avoid it, one of the reasons. And so it requires us to slow ourselves down and, and, and approach the text with humility, both as we study it and as we teach it. The fourth purpose of Bible prophecy is to reveal critical coming events in advance, mm. such as the first coming of the Messiah, right? That's what the first purpose of prophecy was to prepare people for who the Messiah would be when he came the first time and to understand the new covenant that God was making for Israel and for all mankind. Mm -hmm. So one of the roles of prophecy was to help us be ready for the Messiah when he came the first time. The fifth purpose of Bible prophecy is to reveal the second coming of the Messiah Mm -hmm. and the establishment of God's kingdom on earth. That is, you know, centrally important. And it is such a hope how God is going to correct the injustice and the suffering and the horrors that we all feel about this life in our world right now, in our own countries, in our own towns and villages, but also all over the world. Every injustice we see will be made right when the Messiah comes. So we need to understand who this Messiah is that he in fact is coming again, and what is he going to do to make things right? The sixth purpose of Bible prophecy is to build up, challenge, and encourage and comfort the church to Mm. live holy and fruitful lives in the last days of history, right? We'll, We'll get into the Bible verses about it, but it really is to challenge us to live differently, that it's not academic, that this is not just some, okay, that's all fine, but but so what? Right. People can think, of, eh, you know, that, well, I don't understand how this affects me. OK, but it, it's supposed to affect us. And we'll talk about how. And the seventh purpose of Bible prophecy is to warn Israel and warn the nations to repent and to turn to Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, mm-hmm. before it's too late. Yeah, that's one of the purposes. One of the seven important purposes of Bible prophecy is to. Let Israel and the nations understand how urgent it is to turn mm-hmm. to know the Messiah before the consequences of rejecting him kick in. Okay, so we got a lot to unpack here. Yeah. <laughs> These seven things are all deep and rich topics. I would just like to point out that uh, number five that you mentioned there about the second coming, that sometimes is the only thing that many people think prophecy is really all about. But you've done a tremendous job of showing how throughout Scripture there are many purposes that prophecy helps 
build and gives a reason for us to engage in. So let's start with that first one. And it's very important, it's foundational, to reveal that the God of the Bible is the almighty, all-seeing, all-knowing God of the universe, worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. Talk about that for a bit as a purpose of biblical prophecy. Prophecy is designed to show that God is God and nobody else is. This was so powerful about it and why we don't want to ignore it. Uh, There is no other book that tells us in advance uh, what's going to happen, not of little things, but of big consequential things. And so mm-hmm. only a God who lives outside of time could possibly know these things and reveal them to sinful, fallible people and then have it all come true and go, wow, that is just yeah. amazing. How did God know that? Because yeah. he's God. He's God. It's the scripture uh, in Revelation, at the end of Revelation, I am the Alpha, the Greek first letter of the alphabet, the beginning of all things, and the Omega, the last letter of the Greek alphabet, uh, the end of all things, the summation of everything. That is God, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Wow. That's right. And in the document, I lay out that verse and a number of others. For example, Isaiah who was one of the major Hebrew prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 42, verse 9. I love this passage. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. This is who God is. <laughs> yeah. This is who he is. For example, Isaiah 44, verses 6 and 7. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, quote, I am the first and the last. You just cited the Revelation, New Testament version, but this is God saying the exact same thing in the Old Testament. I am the first and I am the last. There is no God besides me. Who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. Let him recount it to me in in order from the time that I established the ancient nation and let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. God not only says, this is who I am, I'm the beginning and the last, I know all things, but if you think you're God, go ahead, take your best shot, tell us what's going to happen. You know, nobody else can do it. Wow. Now, you know, the Bible does say that there are false teachers and false prophets who can say some things that might happen in the future and try to lure people into thinking that they are speaking for God. So we always have to be, you know... Our fortune tellers and astrology and and witchcraft and these things, can they give us some indication of the future? Yes, sometimes. Uh, The Bible actually says in the book of Deuteronomy that he allows false prophets to say some things that are accurate to sort of test us Mm. to see whether we'll follow the one true God or we'll be Mm. lured off. So just because someone says, you know, get something right doesn't mean they are a prophet from God, right? Or that some other book happens to stumble into something that's, uh, you know, ahead of time, uh, you know. But what's interesting about the Bible is you can see it over the long sweep of history. It's just right over and over and over and over and over and over again. And um, this energizes me. So those are just a few of the verses where God himself is describing himself as somebody who can see the future and knows the future and is revealing it to us. Yeah, so that that revelation leads us to the second one about to reveal that the Bible is the inspired word of God and true in all respects. It's related to the first, but it's a whole separate element of of our confidence and our assurance about these things, right? Right, absolutely. There's about a thousand specific prophecies in the Bible, okay? <laughs> and rough, more than half of them have actually come to pass already. 
that's, again, one of the great apologetic truths about the Bible is that it doesn't just pretend to know the future. It knows the future. Like, like we can have confidence that the prophecies that have not yet come to pass will come to pass. Why? Because more than 500 prophecies have already come to pass. They were in the Bible and then they came true. It just, there are a few examples, uh, but there are so many, obviously there's, we don't have time to go into 500 of them, but just as an example, around 530 before Christ, BC, Mm -hmm. the Lord told the prophet Daniel that the kingdom of Babylon would be taken over by the kingdom of Media Persia, that the Media Persian kingdom would then be taken over by the kingdom of Greece, and then the kingdom of Greece would be taken over by the kingdom of Rome. Now, there's no way that Daniel could have known that Babylon, which was so powerful at the time, would be taken over by a kingdom that didn't seem that strong or a big deal then, much less the two other kingdoms that he hadn't even conceived as potential powers Mm -hmm. would be players that would take over one after another. But this is exactly what happened, right? There are are skeptics who say, well, Daniel was written after they all happened because he couldn't have known. Right. Those are the two options. Either Daniel didn't write the book and somebody wrote it hundreds of years later and said, oh, he's going to predict these things. Or he actually did predict those things. But of course, he actually did predict these things. Here's another example. Around the year 600 BC, the Lord told the prophet Jeremiah that the Babylonians would come and take the Jewish people captive. Okay, this is all before it happened. But God also told Jeremiah to write down that the captivity would only last 70 years. Okay, and then the Jewish people would be released and come back to the land of Israel. Now, there's no way that Jeremiah, first of all, could know that Israel was about to be conquered Mm-hmm. by Babylon. But even if you say, all right, well, okay, maybe he could have known that may, or guessed it. Right. But how would he know and thus be able to say to people, it's only going to last for 70 years. Like this is time limited yeah. that Jews will come back and reestablish the, the nation of Israel. But that's so, exactly what happens. Yeah. And I mean, we could go into uh, for a long time, the nature of how these things take place. I want to keep us moving forward yeah, because, sure. you know, we we have so much ground here that people can dig into. And as I as you mentioned, there'll be more materials in the show notes for people to dig into. But the third purpose of biblical prophecy to require us to study God's word diligently and with humility and to teach God's word with humility and great care. That's a great purpose for biblical prophecy in our, in our lives and in our churches. Talk about that a little bit, Joel. Yeah. Well, I think just as a general principle, that's true, but we also see it in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So let's say uh, if you take Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, the Lord Jesus Christ described Daniel as a prophet. Okay. And that's important because Jesus, the Messiah, is, is putting his seal of approval on a specific person in the Old Testament, Daniel, and saying that guy really was a prophet. Okay. That's important. Why is that important? Because When we read the book of Daniel, we see that in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel himself is studying Bible prophecy. You're like, wait, what? (laughs) Yes, Daniel is reading. Daniel, who himself is a prophet, Daniel is studying the prophecies of Jeremiah who came well before him. Okay, And he's reading the prophecies of Jeremiah, and he's realizing, oh, Jeremiah wrote that this would only last for 70 years. Mm -hmm. 
this captivity. And so he's realizing we're getting close to the end of that 70 years, right? Daniel himself is living in captivity, right? Daniel, for those who are not familiar with this, the scriptures, Daniel was a young boy living in Israel, in Judah at the time. And he experienced the invasion of Babylon mm-hmm. and the conquering of, of Judah, uh, the Jewish people, by King Nebuchadnezzar, just as Jeremiah had prophesied. He literally, Daniel literally lived through the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecies. And as he is now living in Babylon in captivity, he is studying. Jeremiah was right. What else did he say? So he's studying the scrolls. Now, he was unique in that he had access to the scrolls, right? Not everybody, you know, it wasn't like a Bible on every corner or in every house. But Jeremiah, who he was, he had access to the scrolls. And he's he's studying the prophecies of Jeremiah. And he's going, all right, this was true. So what else did he say? Oh, he said it's only 70 years. And he realized that he was now living at a period that was getting close to that 70-year point. So he did two things. First, Mm -hmm. he started telling other people, Jeremiah said it's only going to be 70 years. So we should have hope that God's word is true and we are going to be set free. But we have not repented yet. We have not turned our hearts back to God. We need to do that. And both in Daniel's writings and in his teaching and then in his character, the way he lived, he proclaimed that God is true and his word is true and we need to turn our hearts to him in humility. So Daniel, as a prophet was himself a careful student of Bible prophecy and then lived a life of holiness and boldness and courage in light of the truths of God's word. And of course, it all did, in fact, come to pass. Yeah. And, and you know, and I think you also point out in uh, some of the things that you've written that uh, this is also an encouragement of the New Testament writers. And, you know, Paul uh, encourages us to study, to uh, spend time uh, absorbing and being blessed by it. But I think it's really critically important, like you've just pointed out, that Bible prophecy is one of those subjects that we must study deeply in order to truly gain the encouragement that's found in it. If we just treat it Absolutely. superficially, we won't benefit from it. And if we ignore it, obviously, we won't benefit from it. Right. And I, look, we, we might not get through going into detail in all seven. You know, I'll, I'll leave that to you as our host. But I will. I think there's two passages that are important in this in exactly what you said. First, Paul writes to Timothy in Second Timothy, chapter two, verse 15. Paul, the apostle, is speaking to this young disciple who, he's, who Paul is trained to be a, a pastor and a preacher of the word of God. Timothy is living in Ephesus. He's pastoring a very challenging uh, church in a very challenging pagan environment. And Paul writes to him and he says, Timothy, listen, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed because you accurately handle the word of truth. Right. So Paul is telling this young man that he has trained. Listen, you have to be careful. You have to be diligent. You have to study the word of God very carefully. The way Daniel studied Jeremiah, you have to study all the scriptures. And then you have to be very careful how you handle the word of God, how you teach the word of God accurately, clearly, uh, effectively, because you're going to stand before God one day and give an account. Uh, That's a strong encouragement. And we all need this as Bible teachers. The Bible says those who are Bible teachers are going to be judged more severely than somebody who's a listener because we're the ones saying we know and we will help you understand it. If we're wrong, 
you know, we have to give an account to God and there'll be consequences. The other thing is uh, Paul himself. He's just, so that was Paul's encouragement to a disciple. But Paul's description of himself in Acts chapter 20, verses 20 through 31. I won't go through all of it, but Paul specifically writes, I'm sorry, Luke is writing that what Paul said, but okay. Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God, right? Turning away from ourselves and Mm -hmm. our own worldly ways of thinking and turning towards God through Jesus Christ and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I went about preaching the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose or the whole counsel of God. Mm -hmm. And he said he did it for three years. So what he's saying is, I didn't ignore any topic, anything that was in the scriptures, anything that God told me to say. I didn't cherry pick and say, I only want to teach you about giving. Mm -hmm. I want to get you to give me a lot of money. Or (laughs) I only want to teach you about um, love, but not about judgment. And he didn't avoid Bible teaching, Bible prophecy, right? And this is important because he's telling a young disciple, you've got to be careful. You've got to handle the word of God accurately. And he's saying of himself, look, you guys can test me. I have taught you everything that I know, everything that God has taught me to tell you over the last three years. And I didn't hold back anything. This is how each of us, I mean, you know, those of us who are pastors, I'm not a pastor, but those who of you who are pastors or responsible for ministries don't avoid teaching anything that's profitable. And 27% of the Bible is prophecy, and God sees it as profitable, so must we. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, continuing to the the next one, one that sometimes we fail to recognize as Bible prophecy because it's already been fulfilled, but the fourth purpose of Bible prophecy is to point to the first coming of the Messiah. And you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and I'll do this quickly with an analogy. I describe that Bible prophecy is like a phone number, okay? And what makes it interesting is like if, if you dial my U.S. mobile phone, I have this is my Israeli mobile phone. I don't know where my U.S. mobile phone is in a second, but Wait, let's I'll pretend it's my U.S. <laughs> I have two different numbers, two different countries. But if you, Carl, dial me on my U.S. number, mm-hmm. th- th- your first numbers are going to be 1703. Now, when you just dial those four numbers, what's happening? The computers in the phone company are eliminating options, right? Just in four numbers, you have eliminated all the countries of the world except the United States, okay? You've eliminated 49 states except Virginia, because that's where I bought my phone and registered it. You've eliminated all counties and all sections of Virginia except Northern Virginia, okay? That's just four numbers, Mm -hmm. but it helped eliminate options, right? There are seven and a half billion people in the world, Many of them have phones. <laughs> How are you going to find mine? It, it's almost miraculous. Interesting. But it deals with the issue of eliminating options. And with every number that you dial, you are eliminating options until you get to number 10 and you get me. Right? Now, or you might get my voicemail, but at least you'll have gotten my phone. <laughs> okay. Now, here's the point. The prophecies about the first coming of the Messiah were designed the exact same way. Right? Isaiah chapter 9 says, for unto us a child is born. Like, you're like, wait, 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 wait. This is not an angel coming from the sky? No. 
this is going to be a human being? Yes. And this person's going to be born? Yes. Okay. Interesting. So for unto us, a son is given. Okay. First of all, by having a child who's born, you've eliminated angels or celestial beings or aliens. Okay. Important. Two, you've now eliminated women. It's going to be a male who's the Messiah. Okay. That's half the population. Then you go to a little bit further in Isaiah and in chapter nine, it says, this person's going to be called mighty God. So this is a human being. It's a boy. He's born, but he's also going to be God. Now that might be confusing, but you're like, okay, well that would mean that person has to have qualities and attributes that are divine. Okay. Now you move to Micah chapter five, verse two, this Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. What Bethlehem? Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Bethlehem Bible College in Minnesota. <laughs> Bethlehem Steel Company. <laughs> okay, it says Bethlehem Ephrata in Judea. That's a very specific Bethlehem. Even in the Old Testament, there was a Bethlehem in the north in Galilee. Mm-hmm. But this is a very specific Bethlehem, a little town just outside of Jerusalem. This is where King David was born. Oh, wow. One more. In Daniel chapter 9, we referenced that earlier, but Daniel chapter 9, as Daniel is studying Old Testament prophecy, God reveals more important information for us. And he says, Daniel writes, that the Messiah will suffer, that he will be cut off, that yes, he's bringing atonement, he's bringing forgiveness, but he's going to be cut off. The rabbis didn't understand what it meant at the time, but it says that will happen before the temple is destroyed and Jerusalem is destroyed. Yeah, well, now in history, when we zoom out, we know, well, the temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. Yeah. That's important because I've only mentioned a few prophecies, right? There are dozens and dozens and dozens. But just the ones I've mentioned means we're looking for a human being. It's a baby. It's a boy. He, but he's going to be called God. He's going to bring atonement. He's going to bring forgiveness for sins. But he's going to be born in Bethlehem, Judea, in Ephrata, just outside of Jerusalem. And he's coming before 70 AD. Yeah. Who might we know? <laughs> what, what possible options do we have? Yes. Right? And this is important. And I'll just wrap up this part with this. There are many Israelis today, many Jews around the world, who believe that the Messiah is a man named Rabbi Menachem Schneerson. Mm-hmm. Menachem Schneerson is a very bushy-bearded rabbi. Uh, who is on posters and billboards and bumper stickers all over Israel. And it says, Moshiach, Messiah. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who believe he's the Messiah. But where was he born? Mm -hmm. Brooklyn. (laughs) Did he live in Israel? He did not. Mm -hmm. Now, he was a child once. He was born. He is a male. He is Jewish. But he wasn't born in Bethlehem, Judea, in Ephrata. He wasn't called God. And he was born well after 70 AD. So Mm -hmm. he cannot be the Messiah. He can't be because just like a phone number eliminates options, being born in Brooklyn is not the same as being born in Bethlehem, Judea, Ephrata. So this is where this stuff comes in as as really important, um, not just to Christians, but to Jews. Yeah. To take your analogy of the phone number, if you dialed the Messiah's phone number, you would not reach his phone you would reach someone else and that someone else <laughs> is Jesus. Well, Jesus that's right. Christ. And, and, and we haven't even gotten to the issues of suffering yeah. and dying, but then rising again. Yeah. Uh, you know, Rabbi Schneerson 
at its peak, millions of people in 19, in the early 19, late 1980s and into 1991, literally millions of Jews thought this guy is the Messiah. And they thought this was imminent, that he was going to reveal himself as the Messiah. And then he died. I think it was 1992. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, wow, that will end this view, right, that he's the Messiah. But no. And when I moved to Israel and I saw bumper stickers and posters and billboards. I remember. Billboards that mm-hmm. this, with his photo, this man has been dead for 30 years. Mm-hmm. 30 years. You're only supposed to be dead three days <laughs> if you're the Messiah. But you don't even have to get that far with Rabbi Schneerson yeah. because he wasn't born in Bethlehem, Judea, Bethlehem of yeah. That's a very specific clue. It's a very specific prophecy. And it's not in the New Testament. Just for those Jewish listeners who are listening and viewers, we're not even talking about the New Testament. We're just talking about yeah. the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. The, the Hebrew prophet Micah says the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Yeah. So in a very specific Bethlehem. Why is that important? Because it helps us eliminate anyone that we might think for whatever set of reasons. I believe that people who are thinking Rabbi Schneerson is the Messiah, they so long, they so desire for the Messiah to reveal himself that they're holding on to a man that's been dead for 30 years, mm-hmm. wishing, hoping. Why? Because in their view, he was a wise teacher. Maybe so. I'm not getting into that right now. I'm just saying he cannot be the Messiah. Rabbi Schneerson cannot be the Messiah because he was not born in Bethlehem, Ephrata, in Judea. You can eliminate him as an option. Now, there are other things, right, that you have to get into, but this is the purpose and the power of Bible prophecy. It's there to help us eliminate options and know the truth. Boy, Joel, I just have to say again, that is such rich and great teaching on the subject of of Bible prophecy. And I'm going to make another audible call here. We're going to come back and do a third podcast on the power and the blessing of biblical prophecy. We're going to finish the sevenfold blessings, the, the sevenfold positive things that Bible prophecy can do for us. We're going to, we're going to get back to those final three things that we want to cover. But I just, again, want to thank you for taking us uh, really to a foundational point here that Bible prophecy is for us. It is foundational. It helps us understand the power, the nature of God himself, the power of his word. And it points to Jesus uh, in so many important ways that are important for us even now. And we're going to look forward from that. We're going to look at we're going to look at the remaining uh, things in the next podcast that'll that'll point us to the second coming of the Messiah to take us into how we can live and how we should be speaking prophetically to the world because of Bible prophecy. Joel, thanks again for your great wisdom on this and appreciate you so much. My pleasure. And I'm, I love the idea of, of, I think you're right. We should, we shouldn't truncate this. We should just go to a, do a third episode. Exactly. And, and to all our listeners, if, if you'd like to learn more about the Joshua Fund, uh, visit our website at joshuafund.com. And there you can learn about what we're doing in the Middle East as well to, to bless Israel and the neighboring countries in the name of Jesus and how you can participate in the healing work that we're doing. We are educating, we are serving, and we are blessing the epicenter through the, the work of the Joshua Fund. As always, you can also check out our show notes uh, for anything you heard on this podcast. Uh, there's so much more here and more that you might want information on. So go to the show notes and you can pick those up. Well, for Joel Rosenberg, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to Inside the Episode.
This is Chris Christensen, and back in 2006, I started a simple project, a project to try and introduce more people to the Bible through Bible study called the Bible Study Podcast. It's a simple name and a simple idea. Each week, every week, we study one chapter of the Bible, talk about what it says and what that might mean for us today. To listen now, go to lifeaudio.com or search for the Bible Study Podcast on your favorite podcast app.